Hello and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week, we're talking to happiness experts, celebrities and ordinary people to uncover their secrets to living a good life. My name is Kate DeBrito. I'm your host and guide on this journey into happiness. Let's begin. Peter Walsh is a personal organiser and life designer with a successful business in both the US and Australia. At home, you'll have seen him on shows like The Living Room and Space Invaders, but he also has had a massive career in the US where he appeared on five seasons of Oprah, he's a regular guest on The Rachel Ray Show, and he's written five books on organisation. In the event of an apocalypse, I reckon I'd want him along because he strikes me as the sort of person who could organise any group in a crisis. But the thing I've always loved about Peter is he's not just about finding a new container or a new place to put your possessions. He's always looking deeper to understand the mindset of his clients. The question, what is it you're really holding on to here, has brought more than a few people to tears over the years. He's incredibly passionate about what he does and a very busy man, but when I asked him if he'd come on the podcast to talk about the psychology of clutter, his response was immediate. Are you kidding me? I'm in. Can I ask you first, how did this happen? This happened pretty quickly, didn't it, that clutter became an issue for people? I mean, I think back to the 60s and the 70s, it probably wasn't a problem for people. then. It's funny that you say that because there's actually a whole history of this. I think the first book that's labelled about organising goes back to the late 1800s, amazingly. And initially, it was kind of a mechanical thing about organising factories and efficiency. So it started essentially as a workplace thing. And then it's gone through a whole lot of different things that that was largely about helping women, you know, women be more efficient in the workplace. And then it moved into, you know, back into industry. And then we went through the whole kind of janitorial phase about it being about cleanliness and, and you know, um, about... Um, you know, the whole cleaning of homes and so on. And then it went into kind of the perfectionist stage with the whole Martha Stewart thing and entertaining. And then it went into the minimalist phase with the kind of whole Japanese influence and Marie Kondo. Um, And now I think it's kind of swung back a little bit into, you know, um, as a reaction, I think, against the whole overwhelming, uh, you know, consumption thing. And I think the next wave, what we're seeing, is going to be a huge reaction against um, kind of waste, against, you know, for me, it's all about the destruction of the planet. And, you know, this whole consumer thing, organisation, the whole thing is about we're just consuming too much, we're filling our homes with too much crap, you know, we, we think that more is better. We're all caught into this whole thing that more is better And so we fill our homes and our lives with stuff looking for happiness. And I think for me, the organizing thing is never about the stuff. It's about the why. It's not about the what. It's about the why. And so while in some ways it's a new thing, I think in its current form it might be new, but I think people have wondered all the way back to even biblical times, the term covet, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods is about not not really wanting what other people have, which is for me the basis of, of unhappiness. That's really interesting. I, 
Do, when you go into someone's house, and I assume you do this often, can you tell a lot about a person quite quickly by the state of their house? Oh, immediately. Immediately. It, absolutely. It's like, um, you know, the, the, one thing, the one thing I try not to do is to judge. Mm. Um, and I think it's very easy to judge because when you judge, you place yourself outside the problem. When you show empathy and try to understand, you remain inside the problem. And so, if you judge something, it's like, oh, they're dirty, they're lazy, they're slobs. Whereas, if you're empathetic, you ask the question, what's going on here? Why have they gone off the rails? What's this about? Um, and you can kind of, well, it's number one. The number one principle is it's never about the stuff. Yeah. And the worse the clutter, the greater the issue. And in my in my experience, clutter and especially extreme clutter going into hoarding and hoarding is a whole different thing because that's a serious mental health issue. But clutter is almost always about some kind of trauma, loss, um, neglect, abuse. It's always one of grief it's always one of those things that people hold on to stuff because of reasons that the stuff represents Mm. and so you can almost always I can almost always um tell pardon me what's going on and often you know I'll walk into a home and if there's a huge pile of magazines or newspapers and I've done this many times. I'll walk up to the pile of magazines or newspapers, reach to the ground and pull out the bottom, the lowest of the magazines and say, so, tell." and the magazine might be, you know, 2003. And I'll say, what happened in your life in 2003, 2004? And people look at you like you're a fortune teller and say, my husband died. I lost my job. A child died. That's amazing. This, That's amazing, and, though, Peter. Well, just... and, but, but it's not because everything in our homes is there because we either brought it into our homes or we, we give it permission to be there. And every single item in our home has a story. It's interesting you said um, that that you give it permission to be there, and that that's probably right on a on a deep level. But I reckon if you met people, they wouldn't necessarily think that, would they? They would think this all this stuff is here, and I don't know what to do with it, and I don't want it here. But you're saying that they have given it permission to be there. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing in your home that you haven't given permission to be there and to stay there. So why is it so hard for people if there's stuff that they just think they don't want it, I don't want this mess, I don't want this clutter, but yet they have given it permission? Because it's never about the stuff. There are two main kinds of stuff in your home, very broad categories. The first one is what I call memory clutter. Mm. And that's the stuff that reminds you of an, of an important person or achievement or event from your past, a wedding dress, something you inherited from a relative, those books that are in the corner of, of a room that, that represent your uni days, mm. a half-finished novel, that the stuff that you brought home from the office, your last day of work, the stuff 
that when you look at it, reminds you of an important time in your life. And the fear is that if you let go of that stuff, you will lose the memory. Or worse still, that if you let go of those items, you will dishonor the memory of the person who gave them to you. And that so that obviously happens a lot around uh, around grief. Oh, look around your house. Look around your house. Our home is full of that stuff. The kids' drawings from primary school. Don't need them. They're somewhere you know, in the attic. I don't need them. Exactly. I've thought that millions of times. Don't need them. The trophies. The trophies that you got in, in, in secondary school for volleyball or football that your husband or you can't let go of and they're gathering dust in the garage. Memory clutter. The stuff you inherited that your mum gave you, that her mum gave to her, that ugly friggin' dish that you don't, or that painting. And you you would know this too, Peter, is that my um, when my brother died, obviously I went into, uh, he didn't have a partner, so I, I went in to, to cl- yeah. help clear his stuff. And he wasn't a, a hoarder or didn't have, no. but there's so much stuff that no one has any use for. Even when you keep some things that might be relevant to his daughter when she's older, that she might want to look at some of his writing, some of his work, mm-hmm. there's still lots of stuff that no one else will ever need of your things, right? But that's because stuff has power. Stuff has power. And then there's the whole other category of stuff that we hold on to that's just as powerful, and that's called I might need it one day clutter. Oh, well, look, you might need it. Exactly. Look, your eyes went like saucers <laughs> then. And that's, and that's you know, all the recipes that you've cut out of magazines. Oh. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the pieces of wood that your partner has in the shed because he knows one day or she knows one day they're going to repair that piece of skirting board. You know, mm. it's the fondue pot that you have in the cupboard above the fridge that you haven't used since 1998 because you know one day you're going to have a great fondue party. Mm, I might need it. Now, there's nothing wrong with remembering the past and there's nothing wrong with preparing for the future. They're sensible things to do unless all of that stuff holds you too much in the past or too focused in the future and it stops you living the only thing you have, which is now. Mm. And that's the danger of the stuff. We invest in stuff, but when we have too much stuff, we use very specific language. I can't go in that room because I felt suffocated. Oh, my God, you go in that space, you feel buried. You go in that room, you can't breathe. Mm. So we think stuff gives us happiness and we accumulate But the paradox is with too much stuff, we use very specific language that is all about suffocation and death. Mm, mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everyone's felt that to some degree, even if it hasn't gone to those extent. Tell me a a little bit just about your your background. You you are a a psychologist. No, I absolutely am not. Everybody thinks I am. Well, you're you're born, born in Victoria, Victorian boy. I was, born in, I was born in country Victoria. I was raised one of seven kids. Um, neither of my parents finished eighth grade. Uh, my dad was a motor mechanic. Mum was a nurse. And they insisted they, were, they had a huge focus on education. They put the seven of us through, um, through either pro- some kind of professional training or uni. 
uh, originally a teacher. Um, I then worked in health promotion, drug abuse prevention uh, for the Australian Drug Foundation, Australian Heart Foundation. Um, I then got into corporate training, developing uh-huh. um, uh, basically interpersonal skills development, um, performance management, giving and receiving feedback, decision-making skills for uh, people in corporations and broad organisational development in corporations, um, all of which seem completely unconnected, all of these pieces from the past. I also taught um, kindergarten kids for a while, which is probably the best training of all for what I do now. <laughs> and, um, and then I went to the States to uh, open the American office of our um, corporate training company in 94 and the company took off um, and when the first wave of dot-coms came in the year 2000 uh, we decided to sell that company um, and I was at a loose end and friends uh, asked me to audition for a new t- show that one of the first organizing shows in the states that was on the discovery network and I did basically as a joke um, and I have an accent, at least in America, and um, I got the job. Did you know? Did you were you skilled in organising, like in your personal no, life? Did people know no, that you were I, good at this stuff? No, I mean I loved organising. I loved design. You know, I loved and the very first. You know, I loved the whole organising spaces and so on. And the thing was that there hadn't been any shows like this, and um, the very first show we did. Um, was a woman who had two teenage boys. She, our job, the very first show, the show was called Clean Sweep. The very first show, the she had all of the baby's clothes and toys from when those boys were babies. They were now like 17 and 19. Oh, she wow. had every single item. And our job on the first show was supposedly to build storage drawers in the garage to house all of this stuff which I thought was insane but that was we were you know an organization show that was the idea so we got all the stuff out of the master bedroom where it was stored and we started and I looked at her and from nowhere came this question which has set the tone for everything I have done I said to her let me ask you one question are your best memories with your boys in front of you or behind you? Wow. Are your best memories with your boys in front of you or behind you? She looked at me as though I had slapped her, started crying, stood up and ran off. Wow. (laughs) Now, I had never shot TV before. But you're thinking this isn't good. No, well, I didn't quite know what was going on. And I looked at the camera guy and the sound guy and I didn't know better. And I said, let's go. And we chased her down the street. (laughs) She was leaning against a tree sobbing. And I, you know, I've got three sisters, you know, I'm not, and three brothers. And, you know, I'm not frightened of tears or conflict, you know. And I, you know, I started chatting with her and it turned out she had always wanted another child. Her husband had never wanted that. She saw her greatest value as a woman, as a wife, as a mother when she was nurturing and raising those children. And so when she looked at those things, she did not see baby's clothes. Yeah, she saw her value. Thank you. 
memory clutter stuff has power yeah and so when her husband said let go of the baby's clothes she heard let go of your value as a wife as a mother as a woman do you see it's never about the stuff yeah do you see it's never about the stuff and that's why language is so important and when we started talking about that her husband couldn't believe what this was about. He was so, so shocked and she, she was sobbing and then we started talking about what this meant and her value and we, through conversation we discovered there was a woman in the street who was adopting two babies from China. I said, let's go and talk to her. She ended up bonding with this woman and gave all of the clothing to this woman and agreed that she would become a regular babysitter. It's beautiful. Yeah, see, that's the story. So I don't give a crap about organising photos and closets and, Mm -hmm. like, that's part of what I do. But do you see how that is so boring and superficial and irrelevant to what we're talking about? Organisation. Organic. And organize come from the same root to be organized, organic, more whole, more human, more complete, more natural. That's what being organized is. So, how does that work in your own life? When you do you have, I mean, maybe it's very organic for you, or do you have rules? Like, if you're buying something new, do you think, well, something else has to go? Do you ask yourself, before buying something, are you one of those people who really says, do I need this? Like, what is it bringing me? Look, you have to ask the why. You know, we all ask the word. There are two words that we misuse, for and from. Mm. Everybody asks, what do I need for my house? What do I need for my living room? Well, I need the carpet. I need the drapes. I need No. What do you want from your house? What do you want from this room? Well, I want comfort, I want relaxation, I want warmth, I want love, I want family time. And then you ask, will this item move me closer to what I want from this space or farther away from that? That's a really beautiful way of looking at it because I think people do know what they want from their house. And see, that's how, and this is how it solves problems. Every time I go into a master bedroom, I open the door to the master bedroom, husband and wife or partners are standing there, and the first thing I see is I'll say to them, what do you want from this space? And they both say love, comfort, sanctuary, retreat, getaway, kid-free space, Mm. romantic, sexy. That's what you both want from this space. You agreed? Yes. You both agree? Yes. Open the door to the master bedroom. The first thing I see are kids' toys. And the wife says, well, we've got a six-year-old and a, no, 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 no. That's not the question. Do toys give you what you want from the space? No, then the toys and the kids should not be in this room. I see a laptop on a desk. The husband says, every night I need to check work email. No, 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 that's not the question. That's reasonable, but <laughs> that's not, not the question. Does that move you closer to what you want from this space. Mm. No, out. 
I see this huge Queen Anne Baroque bed. The wife says, I inherited that from my grandmother. It's a family heirloom. Great. Does it give you what you want from this space? No. Then it should not be in the room. It's not, it's not what you want for the space. It's what does your stuff give you what you want from the space. So, Peter, when you're working um, back in the US, I assume as as well as your TV shows and your media appearances, you still have a a business where you're going in and doing this work for people? Very little now. I don't, because I'm so busy with other stuff, um, very little. And, you know, the few I've done in recent years are largely um, pro bono stuff, you know, the death of a child or suicide or something like that. But, yes, I still do a few of those. I have on I have on occasion even some celebrities and so on, but I I choose not to do I I and some very very big names I've been asked to do, and I choose not to do that because um, often they just want Oprah's organising guy, right? They want the guy with the label. It sounds like you've got a good understanding of yourself as well as a pretty good yeah. read on other other people. <laughs> look, I'm look I'm. I'm very. My partner and I have, uh, uh, are very happy. You know, we even had this discussion just this morning. Look, how much more do you want? Mm. And I, you know, I mentioned earlier about you know all the way back to the Bible. I'm not a religious person at all. I'm an agnostic. I don't believe, you know, I don't believe there's a God. That's not. I, you know, I was raised a Catholic, raised a Christian. Um, uh, I'm quite a spiritual person, but there's a lot of truth in in, in you know in in traditional writings you know a couple of things you know from buddhism the buddha said we all believe we have time and we don't which i think is one great thing and the second thing you know the word covet i never understood the 10 commandments you know obviously some of them are pretty obvious but but thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's mm. goods now covet is a very old word but here's the thing comparison is the basis and the root of unhappiness. The moment you start comparing yourself to someone else, you are on the slippery, quick slope to unhappiness. It is a thief of happiness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because someone will always, always, always have more than you, and the truth is someone will always have less than you. Well, let me ask you about one of the biggest vehicles for comparison at the moment. Um, and I'll say Instagram, I guess I could say more broadly social media, but Instagram is a, is a real, really understands how to, how to bring that comparison into people's lives. One of the interesting trends I've seen there, and you've probably seen it yourself, is kind of a hyper-organisation. Have you seen a lot of those? Oh, it's ridiculous. Where people are like they decant their milk into a new um, sort That's of ridiculous. a new container. They, 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 they stack their fridges full of, um, of soda soda cans like it's a vending machine. Is that? It's almost like it feels like it, it's the flip side, but it's also a, a bit problematic as well. Look, the thing you have to understand is that, Almost nothing you see online is real. That's true. That's true. It's just not real. You know, all those photos of people smiling happy in holiday situations, you know, all, all the 
the pretty girls and buff boys, you know, in their great bodies and incredible outfits, all those beautiful home settings, they're not real. And they, they're there to get you for, for clickbait. They get, they're there to get you to click likes. They're, they're there to get you to sell through stuff. They're not real. But what's the psychology of that where they're kind of selling this idea of being so perfectly organised? Because, because there are two things. There are two things you have to be aware of. There's the product and there's the promise. Mm. And the thing is with everything we buy, we're attracted, we're, we're, we might be first captivated by a product but what sells us is the promise. We buy the exercise machine, but what we're really buying is the promise that somehow it will make us healthier, thinner, fitter. We buy the skinny jeans, but we're really buying the promise that somehow our backside will look better. We buy the makeup, the eyeshadow, the lip gloss, but what we're really buying, that's the product, but we're buying the promise that somehow we'll look like that incredible creature who's just spent an hour and a half with two professional makeup artists and great filters and incredible lighting that will, you know, that's how we'll look. And what happens is we end up with a home full of products, but a life littered with broken promises. That's why there's all this consumption on the one hand, but lives empty of any kind of fulfillment because none of these products, none of these promises are fulfilled because we believe that buying, if we just buy the right product, we can acquire the life that we want. And it's total horseshit. That's, that's the only way to describe it. And yet, that's the perpetuation. That's what, that's what all of these images perpetuate and we all buy into it and that's what advertising and marketing and hyper-marketing, and that's what the internet is because what happens with the internet is that it tracks everything that we do and then narrows our feed to feed us stuff that we have looked at before, so it reinforces the things that we like. There's some bizarre little products out there, um, and I get what you're saying more generally. I did have to have a laugh when I saw someone, they pulled out their drawer and they, they took everything out and then they used a little um, it's a little tiny handheld side of a mouse, size of a computer mouse. It's a little vacuum for your drawer. It vacuums up any of the stuff. I thought you probably just use a cloth. A little bit of a wet cloth would do as well in that situation. It's called lift the drawer out and tip it upside, walk outside and tip it upside down. And, and t- but it's another product. But like you're saying, it's another product that you buy that you feel you need that will make your life better. And, and ask yourself, where was that product made? What were the raw materials that went into making that product? How is that product shipped from China mm. here? That's global warming. What will you spend your money on now? Obviously, living experiences as much as I can. Not things. And you know, I'm as I'm as big a culprit as anyone. You know, I fly I fly back and forth to the United States, which is a huge carbon imprint. Mm. 
But the truth is, the truth is, and this is harsh, we all feel impotent in terms of doing anything about global warming. You know, we've spent so many years screwing with the planet. You know, it's the planet's turn to screw us back. I hope not. I hope we can. Oh, I hope we can. I hope we can make a difference at some point. Oh, I, I, I doubt that very much. Well, it's certainly. I get what you're saying. Individually, we can try and try and try. Businesses certainly don't make it very easy. They're not really. Um, I don't think committed to finding solutions. If you if you pulled out all of those individual members of those big corporations, most of those people are not sitting there saying, I want to build up this corporation and make a lot of money so that the business can ha- make a lot of money. They want the success of the business so that they have more for themselves. That's what it comes yeah. down to for the majority of people. They're sure. just trying to get more money for themselves to mm-hmm. get more stuff, right, to buy more things, perhaps experiences, but mostly things. Yeah, I, I think so, but it comes back to, you know, each of us have to make wise decisions um, about what we buy and what we put in our homes. You know, it goes all the way back to, I, I can't remember, you know, there's a, a very famous quote, don't have anything in your home unless it's beautiful and useful. Mm. You know, and I, I think they're, you know, if you want the simplest of the simplest of guidelines, I think they're, that's, you know, I think that's a pretty good guideline. You know, is everything in your home both beautiful and useful? Peter, what what's the biggest change that you see in, in people when they do eliminate clutter, when they really jump on board? I, I use this example all the time. Um, in every single case, in every single, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, in every single case where I have, decluttered a home where there are children, small children involved, when those children come back into a space, whether it's a family room or their bedroom, living room, any space where it's decluttered and organised, without exception, children start to dance. Wow. Without exception. And I think that's because there's, there's something innate in children, something intuitive that says this space now has the capacity for so many other things to flow into it. And those things are things like creativity, love, excitement, joy, family, joy, joy is at the top of the list. Yeah. yeah. And I think that as we get older and more cynical, like I am, uh, we kind of lose, lose that capacity. And yet we experience that, on occasion, and I can give you an example that every single person has had, and that's the feeling when you go on a holiday and you open the door to your hotel room, especially if it's a little luxe, and you step into that room, everything is ordered, you look around, and you go, oh. So nice. <laughs> See, that's it. And we all have had that feeling. So let me ask you. If you can have that feeling every once in a while when you go on holidays, why can you not create that feeling when you open the front door of your house? Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Why can't you? That's something I'm going to take away and think about when I walk through my house. Because here's the deal. No one is coming to save you. No one is coming to save you. That's true. No one. So you have to ask yourself, what do you want from your house? Peter, is there 
is there one place that makes if someone was struggling with overwhelm and clutter in any in any sort of degree is there one place that you tell them they should start or one thing they should do to start a, a simple a really really simple thing i can give you a couple of simple things but the first one and it's an oldie but a goodie that i've been using for over 20 years it's called and it's a, it's a bit of an american phrase it's called the trash bag tango okay here's what you do get everyone in your house to get two garbage bags set a clock set on your phone 10 minutes yeah everybody runs around the house for 10 minutes in one bag you put rubbish torn clothing recycle stuff you know old fast food containers i don't care what and in the other one you put anything you're prepared to go to donation books you no longer read clothes that don't fit you toys the kids no longer play with only 10 minutes you put the first one in the rubbish or recycle bin the other one straight in the boot of the car. Now, if two of you do that for one week, at the end of one week, you will have 14 bags in the rubbish bin and you'll have 14 bags in the boot of your car going to donation. If just two of you do that yeah. for one week, if you do that for a month, you will have 60 bags of rubbish and 60 bags of stuff going to donation. Now, if you can't fill a bag with rubbish, then do two bags to donation, 10 minutes a day. So that's kind of chunking it down, making it simple. You don't have to take a whole day. You don't nope. have to put aside a weekend. Ten you minutes. can say I'll do 10 minutes. 10 minutes and stop buying stuff while you do that. Sure. Now, the, the second thing is don't put it down, put it away. And that means everything has to have a place, right? Everything. everything. And if it doesn't have a place, you've got a problem. If you found a fork in anyone's home you went into, no matter where it was, you could pick it up, walk into the kitchen, open the cutlery drawer and put it in. It should be the same with every item in your home. Where does it live? Peter, I, I bet you've got hundreds of great tips is there i mean you you've got books that i guess people can can access they can see you on yeah sure all my books you can get any of my books online i've got if you go to my youtube channel um there's tons of 10 minute they're called 31 days to get organized tips they're 10 minute easy to do tips i used to do this for the month of january i haven't done it for a couple of years but i think there's over 250 10 minute things you can do 31 days to get organized um, there's a ton of those, but um, look, Trash Bag Tango is a great starter and follow up with those daily tips, 31 days to get organized, stop buying stuff, don't put it down, put it away, and more than anything else, stop using the word later. <laughs> I'll file it later, I'll put it away later, I'll wash it later, I'll make the bed later, I'll hang it up later, I'll open the mail later. Stop using the word later and you'll be amazed at what a difference it makes to your life and how much you will hate me because you'll start hearing my voice in your head saying, damn, Peter Walsh, you'll start to put something down on the kitchen counter and you'll hear me saying, don't put it down, put it away, don't do that later. You'll say, oh, Peter Walsh, I hate that bastard. Well, Peter, I know you said that no one was going to save us, but I have a feeling that 
as I said, in the apocalypse, you actually would be the one to <laughs> save us. And I feel like you've probably saved a lot of people over your career. I think, I hope so. I hope so. I really mean what I said at the beginning. I've just always been, you know, incredibly impressed by the, the heart and, you know, the soul that you bring into the work you do. It could just be a matter of putting Thank things you. in boxes and you make it anything but this has been incredibly fascinating great chatting and good luck with the fourth season of space invaders thank you so when will we see that when will that be on on tv we start shooting in july uh it won't air until the beginning of next year but you can watch the last three seasons it's streamed on nine now thank you so much peter i love you this was awesome anytime Kate. okay all right lovely to chat